0: to this week's Lefevre CFC podcast. Connect with us via our website lefevrecfc.com or our Facebook page www.facebook.com slash CFC We hope you enjoy this week's message. It's my pleasure to introduce Pastor Bill. Many of you will know uh, Bill. He's the um, Senior Pastor of uh, the CRC family centre group of churches, also the national chairman of CRC, um, has been doing that role for 20 years um, and just in... October last year was re-elected to continue in that role for another four years so um, leads our movement this is the group of churches that we're part of but inside of CRC we have the Christian Family Centre churches that are part of CRC but are, are united together and we're part of that group of churches as well and he heads that up and chairs that and leads leads that group of churches as well so um, but 45 years of leading the Christian Family Centre this year Yeah, forty-fifth year. Amazing. That's longevity. That's commitment. That's faithfulness. That's a response to the call of God and um, to stick at it for a long time. That must have meant you were very young when God called you, Pastor Bill, to take on the fourteen when you took on the church. Yeah, (laughs) you can do the maths. Uh, But yeah, fantastic. So thank you, Pastor Bill, for coming and sharing with us this evening. And then at the end of the end of your message, you'll lead us in communion. Yeah, happy to. Thank you.
1: Hi, everyone. It's uh, a joy to be with you. You don't believe me that I was 14 when they appointed me, do you? Eh? And uh, yeah, I just had a birthday a couple of nights, a couple of days ago. And uh, but I'm just so I'm delighted I'm 69. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm an old man. I've got four kids, nine grandkids, and I've ordered 12. My son is yet to marry. And I'm just looking around if there's somebody that's available <laughs> and line them up and, and I've ordered, th- ordered three from him as well so uh, um, no life is good and uh, I'm, d- I'm just excited that I'm alive because I could have gone three and a half years ago, four years ago and uh, I'm alive and uh, loving Jesus, loving my family, loving our churches and uh, trying to do the best I can with the gifts that God has given to me to continue blessing as many people as possible so it's a joy to be with you and I'm thrilled that uh, Pastor Jeremy has come in as your lead pastor uh, only God could have organized that I can tell you that was amazing how that occurred and you've got a few other steals thrown in as well if you don't want them they can send them to seat and I'll look after them there But uh, no, they're a fantastic family, and uh, so I trust that as they share the vision and heart of where the team, where they want to lead you over the next 12 months, that you will receive it with uh, open hearts, because they're a good team, solid team. They can sing. Tara can sing. Hayden, well, he's okay. Um, He's learning. Um, I actually videoed you guys, and I've sent it all around the world. And I've said, look at this, minimist approach, but thoroughly anointed. Who needs massive bands? You just need hearts that love Jesus, that love people, and the presence of God comes. Isn't that right? I feel ready to to minister the word because we've been led in beautiful singing and and worshipping of Jesus. So it's a joy to... To share with you, i on on the theme of faith. I've got so many messages on faith, like you've got to believe. I've got folders this thick. It's one of my favourite subjects. So I'm thinking, God, what do I, what do I say to these folks? And I thought, you know what? I, I want to share on the theme that we need to plant good seeds by faith throughout 2023. And your team are going to be sowing seeds of faith about your direction in the next 12 months and uh, and I prayed my thoughts uh, tonight, this afternoon will help you. The Bible compares the Christian life um, to gardening over and over and over again and I know some things about gardening because I was brought up on a farm, yep a farm in the western suburbs of Adelaide, uh, four to six acres right by the airport and and there were hardly any houses around then. In fact, my dad owned the airport road, the road between Henley Beach Road and Burbage Road. Stamatis Vasilakis owned it, and then the government sued him, took him to court and took it off him. And um, and so uh, because they said, we've got to build a road between Henley Beach Road and Burbage Road going to the airport, so we're confiscating the land, we'll pay you. So they came along and Dad could hardly speak English. He'd saved 2,000 pounds working up at Streaky Bay for for, um, uh, seven years and he bought this land with another man and he didn't know what the law was. so He just got a lawyer and said, I don't know know what this is and and gave it to the lawyer and then something like uh, six years later, 1954, when I was born, the tractors turned up to knock over his glass houses and his house and Dad (laughs) goes out and says, what what are you guys doing? He goes, well, we, we've got orders to, to we, we've got to knock it over because the road's going to be there. He goes, no, you can't do that. I live here. He goes, but didn't, didn't you know that we're coming? He goes, no. He goes, so I, I got a letter six years ago. So, so thankfully, Dad went to the lawyer. The lawyer that had received the letter. She happened to be Governor Roma Mitchell. She became the governor, so she was a young, strong, Catholic lawyer And uh, so Dad didn't know what was going on, and she said, Mr. Vasilakis, we're going to go to court. We're going to sue the government. And he did. We got our own... You know that film, The The Castle? We got our own castle story, and it's true. If you don't believe me, check out the newspaper, Advertiser, 1954, and it has there, you know, migrant stopping progress, you know, and all that stuff. And so finally, the judge threw the book at the government. I don't know whether the state government or federal government and said, you trying to jip this man, you're offering him 1948 prices, it's 1954, more than that, 1954 prices and he can take as long as he likes to buy land and erect his glass houses and you're compensating for it. Dad came out thinking, what a country that me can sue the government and win. And so, um, so anyway, so, so that's just a story, it has nothing to do with my message but I thought I'd share it with you. It's a great story but but growing up, my dad learnt to become a gardener. He didn't know about gardening. He didn't know about fishing. He learnt to become a fisherman. He's a man of faith. He just used to step out and he just did different trades. So as a young boy, he was on the ships in the Aegean Sea from the island of Vicaria, and he learnt how to, 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 you know, shift coal and all that kind of stuff. And, and then from there, he got into the Merchant Navy and went right around the world. And his aim was to go to, to Boston, he was going to jump ship before the war broke out, 1938. and going to jump ship. All the Greeks would go to Boston and New York. and so. But the captains of the ships were smart. They knew these young Greek boys and, and Italian men were trying to get out of Europe, so they used to trick them and say, oh, yeah, we're going to the port of Boston. And then halfway across the Indian Ocean, because we're actually going to the port of Adelaide, he says, where the heck is Adelaide? So the boys, they ran out of food across the Indian Ocean. Can you believe it? They had... No unions in those days. They ran out of food, so three or four of the men had to be hospitalised. They were all out of that hospital So dad, big man. And, um, and so that's where he met a Greek in the same thing. And the Greek guy says, forget Boston, New York. This is the best place in the world. So he comes here. He jumps ship. Illegal. They put him in a fruit truck. They put him in a cupboard. They hit him in a cupboard in Hindmarsh. So when the cops would come around, they'd hide him in there because the captain was saying, you've got to find that Vasilakis. And, uh, you know, and what they used to do, they only used to give them 10% of their income because they knew these boys would jump ship. So he only had 10% of the income that he earned. And so then they they hit him when the cops came around to the other Icarians. They hit him in in the back of a fruit truck, sent him up to Streaky Bay. There he, he worked for something like seven years, right throughout the war, except when he got conscripted. Can you believe it? So the war breaks out and they have an amnesty. And they say, OK, we want to know who's Greek, who's Italian, who's German. And so he, he actually had to identify himself. The local cop couldn't believe it. He says, You're an illegal. And dad was one of his friends. So then I said, OK, and you've done national service for a year in Greece? In the army, boy. You've got a choice go to Papua New Guinea or to the abattoirs at Port Lincoln to make bully beef for the troops. Have a guess what dad chose bully beef at, at Port Lincoln. So anyway, so dad learnt. To fish and he did it really well. He stepped out in faith and then he bought this land and, and he, he, didn't know how to, he didn't know how to market garden, so he actually hooked up with a Bulgarian guy somewhere in the western suburbs who Teach me how to market garden. And he learned about it. Then after that, he sold all that stuff and became a businessman, put up units and you know, he just entrepreneur. But I, what I think about my dad is he was an amazing seed sower. He knew how to, to step out in faith take calculated risks okay not stupid risks not crazy stuff and he was able to create wealth he was able to 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 create an amazing uh, living for himself and and I I can't recall ever feeling like I was poor I can't recall ever dad and mum just gave us such security and then when they went to be with the Lord I can't believe the inheritance they poured out upon my three sisters and I. We actually didn't want it. We used to say, Dad, Mum, you guys have got to go to Greece, you've got to go and travel the world and all that stuff, but no. And so what he sowed with his life, I'm receiving the benefits of it now, and my kids and my grandkids are receiving the benefit of it. So you, you might have nothing. You might think you have nothing. But you've got your life, you've got your, the three T's, Time, talent and treasure. We all have time, we all have talents, we all have treasure. And if we think that's those three things are just for me, you're going to miss out on life. They're given to you so that you can sow by faith into the lives of others, into God's kingdom and you will produce amazing fruit, fantastic fruit. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to... To market gardening. Anyone else here grew up on a farm? Oh, I've got some competition. Some people know they'll check check what I'm going to say. All right, now let me specifically nail down about God's laws or faith laws of the harvest. God's laws of planting and harvesting, the laws of sowing and reaping, and uh, you know. Genesis 8.22 says, as long as the earth endures, there will be seed time and harvest. And Galatians 6, 7 says, Don't be misled, no one makes a fool of God. Whatever a person plants, he will harvest. In the positive and in the negative. Okay? So it doesn't say that he will, it says he will harvest, not he might harvest. It'll happen one way or the other, either positively or negatively. If you ignore the laws of sowing and reaping in your life, it's going to hurt you. It's going to cause damage to your life, your family, your friends and society. If you wisely use the laws of sowing and reaping in your life, you're going to be blessed, absolutely blessed by them. And and you can use these laws literally, these faith laws in every single area of your life. You can use them in your relationships, sowing and reaping. You can use them in relation to your health, What you sow, you reap. You can use them in relation to your finances, in relation to your career. And and in many respects, whatever you need more of in your life, think about this, whatever you need more of in your life, you need to plant the appropriate seeds in faith. If you like, if you're saying, well, look, I really feel like I need more appreciation. People don't appreciate me enough. And, uh, well, I, I need... More friends i don 't have enough friends. nobody wants to be my friend okay or, or, or I, need, I need people to respect me and to appreciate me. This is to do with relationships. you know you know the answer to being appreciated, being respected, and making friends you need to start appreciating people. you start sowing even if you don 't feel like appreciating them if you want respect, you start respecting people. You want friends, start being friendly. I love what Jeremy said in Leading You, he put through, pulled the rug from under you, don't go to your mate, go to somebody else. At church, over the years you see people, oh this church is not friendly. You know, nobody no one loves me in this, this, standing in the corner like this and, and, and it's like giving the vibe like, don't come near me, I bite. So if you want to make friends, if you want friends, be friendly. <laughs> be friendly. Take an interest in another person. You might say, I don't feel like being it." Well, you, you're going to be friendless. As you, by faith, step out and you show friendship to him and to him and to her and to her and to her and to her and to, her and to him and to him and you, you know what? You're going to be... You're going to have so many friends, you're going to have to fight them off. Everyone will want to be your friend. Because why wouldn't you want a friend who is friendly? But if, you want some, if somebody's holding back and they're holding back the, that seed of friendliness, they're going to end up being really lonely. It applies to every aspect of your life, every dimension of your life. If you feel like you need more talent, well, I haven't got many talents, well, start using the little talent that you have and you know what's going to happen? It'll grow and develop and God just may pop in another one. you don't use it you lose it someone said I think that's true if you need more time if you need more money if you need more energy start sowing your time your money your energy into Jesus cause into serving him and his purposes if you need more witnessing power say oh you know like I just I need more witnessing power to be able to share the gospel well you need to pray with the expectation that the Holy Spirit will give you the opportunities and so you start praying and you start envisaging those family members and those friends that are unsaved and you see yourself witnessing to them holy imagination you start planning it in your thinking and say Lord I don't know what to do how to do it but what are you doing you're sowing faith prayers you're saying Lord These people are unsaved in my family or my friends. How am I going to to do this? And you know, amazingly, when you start thinking about others and praying for them and sowing your best prayers for the salvation of those people, somehow God opens up doors, opportunities, for you to be able to share your story. And particularly if you're a friendly person and you're a nice person. If you're not a nice person, not a friendly person, they're not going to listen to you. But if they like you, because you're likable, if you're, if you're making friends with them and you're being friendly, they're going to listen. We had one of our businessmen at church and he came up to me, this is several years ago. He oh, Pastor Bill, I figured out why none of, none of my staff come to Easter and Christmas and I invite them. I'm like, oh, because I've got a revelation. I'm they to tell me that I could preach on that. He's got about 50 staff. He goes, not one of them come. I'm like, why? He goes, I figured it out. He goes... I never talk with them over coffee. They have their staff meetings. I meet with my brother or my dad or someone. I never sit down with them and talk with them and take an interest in, you know, what footy club do you follow? what cricket you know, Take an interest in them. And he goes, they're all very polite, but they never come. And so he realised he, for people to take him seriously as a Christian when he gives an invite for them to come to church is they're not going to respond unless they trust him and love him and respect him and he's taken an interest in their lives. And not just talking to them to say, say, well, I'm going to talk to you if you come to church with me. Just talk with them and love them and get involved in their lives and take an interest in them. I've got neighbours who don't live the Christian life. I've got a couple of guys and they're in... Relationship together, they're my neighbours, they're fantastic guys, they're, really, they're not believers, so my task is to befriend them and I have, we're mates, we, we protect each other's houses and we take an interest in them, I buy them Greek desserts and shower them with blessing and, 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 and I'm doing it because I think it's the right thing to do, to be kind and loving towards them and I'm praying for them that the opportunity will arise one day where they will ask me about my faith and how It interfaces with their lifestyle choices and that's going to be a hard conversation to have but you know what the 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 best way to witness if you want witnessing opportunities start praying for people start imagining yourself witnessing to them and then take an interest in them what you sow you're going to reap in prayer in faith in friendliness is this making sense to you can someone give me an amen? amen only Alyssa has hey, I think it's good stuff. I'm preaching to myself here. So let me give you three three laws. Firstly, everything starts as a seed. Everything. Every idea starts as a seed idea. Every dream starts as a dream seed. Every achievement. When Australia was colon <laughs> We became a federation in nineteen hundred and one, okay? The sick colonies that were very independent, had their own police forces, armies, foreign affairs. They basically were little colonies under the British Crown, but they you know, they had had to have They were independent, they had separate railway gauges, you'd have to, you know, 3.6 in one state, then then 4.8 in another, then 5.3 in another, so you had to get off the train and go there because they just thought, we're just independent, we're doing our own thing. And Aussies are really independent. How do you get six independent states and a couple of territories to unite to form a Commonwealth when Sydney and Melbourne scared the living daylights out of everyone? Because half the population was in Sydney and Melbourne. So how the heck do you think with well Western Australia, Tassie, South Australia with minimal populations? Well, there was a guy, his name was Henry Parkes. He was the Premier of New South Wales and you probably see him, the guy with the great big long beard and he had a vision and the Tenterfield address when he got together, the premiers and others, he goes, we've got to unify and it took about 15 years and he died five years before it actually took place and, uh, and dear old Sir Henry Parks, initiated just an idea that we should federate. And then there was this South Australian governor named Charles Kingston. He was a ratbag. You know anything about Charles Kingston? Didn't mess with Charles. Anyway, he got the idea and, and he took it. And you know, the Australian constitution was written up in Manoa in the Adelaide Hills. Two or three of them got together and they wrote the first draft and they went, it took about 10 years, but it just came as an idea by Sir Henry Park's an impossible idea and by faith he spoke it into people's lives and within 10 years Australia federated and we federated into a nation on a continent without a war without civil strife and we've had a constitution that has held this nation together for 123 years in peace and harmony and uh, I think what a what Paul Keating the the great Labour Prime Minister he says oh he used to get really mad he'd say you know what People say Gallipoli was where the nation was born. It goes, phooey, it goes, the greatest achievement Australia's ever achieved is federation. The 1880s and 1890s when we all came together and we decided to form a nation state on a continent without a war, without pressure, and the people chose it, and the people themselves came up with the constitution, not a politician's constitution. They can't change it, we change it. Hallelujah, isn't that great? That's why it's hard to change. It was an idea. When a group of scientists in 1961 broke into Ke- President Kennedy's office, they got an inside contact and th- they got in there to see the president, I think they had half an hour with him and so the normal bureaucracy said no no you can't go see the president, it takes six months, And so they got in through some contact so they sat down and talked with him and I've read the account by Hugh Siddi who was the famous time reporter, he was actually there, Kennedy and him were friends and Hugh City records it. He goes, here they are, these guys. And they're, and they're saying to him, Mr. President, we think we can get a man onto the moon and get him back again. We reckon we can do it within 10 years. And they, they give all their theories. Nothing's been created to actually achieve this. It was an idea. So City was gone. He's sitting there, he goes, I knew something was happening. He goes, there's the president. He goes, I, I knew him well enough. And he'd sit back on his rocking chair and if an idea grabbed him that he thought, mm, he would sit back and tap his teeth. And he goes, he's got it. He's going to do it. He goes out, he says, okay, meeting finished. He went outside, went for a walk on his own. Came back. and says, we're going to the moon. And he gave that famous speech that you've probably seen on, on television. I believe this nation should marshal its resources to send a man to the moon and bring him back safely. Everyone goes, how are you going to do it? He goes, don't know. Scientists, how are you going to do it? We don't know. They did not have the technology. They created it afterwards. So the idea came into their heads. They spoke it. And then amazingly, by faith, we went to the moon and back. It's a faith step. They didn't have reason behind it. They didn't have, we have it all worked out. We have got it all nicely articulated and organized. They didn't know. More things happen through faith than what you would believe and imagine. Could take place. I'd be dead if it wasn't for a young boy in the late 1950s, an Armenian kid named uh, Raymond Domation. And he, as a little boy, saw his mother dying, his grandmother dying of breast cancer, and it was a terrible death. And, uh, and so he had this idea he goes, How come if you've got a broken bone, you can x ray it? Because why can't we? X-ray a breast, or X-ray a stomach, or X-ray flesh. He had this idea. I think I'm going to invent a machine to X-ray the the human body. And so he gets his PhD in, uh, in 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 medicine and research. He got saved at a Billy Graham crusade 1959, and he's still alive. I think he's still alive, in his 80s. And he says that God planted the idea in his head after he became a Christian. So he invented the first machine in 1974. Everyone said you're crazy. You're going to kill people in this machine. Why? Because they're going to magnetise the cells. The idea was magnetise the cells. Lift them up. Mm. Check out the ions and all that stuff and photograph it. I said, you can't do that with a person's brain or their stomach or their intestines or their heart. But said, I can. I figured it out. So really brave that he was, he threw his assistant in the first machine <laughs> and it worked. And that machine, you can see it in the, in the, uh, uh, the Smithsonian. 1980 was the first machine. I went through that machine. Who's gone through an MRI machine? It's hell, isn't it? Tunnel, boom, 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 boom. But you know what? It photographs every part of your body. You get PET scans and, and CAT scans. And, and so when I went through it, they said, yep, we see that cancer. We know where it is. Exactly. They, they actually took photos of it. So there it is. Yeah, it's protruding out there. Mm, we hope it's not in your lymph system. Cause, but, we're going to have to cut out a fair bit to cut all that stuff out. But they knew exactly where it was. Before 1980, I wouldn't have even known that I had cancer. I wouldn't have even know. I just would have one day got really sick and within three weeks or six weeks, I would have died. So that was a faith idea, an idea, a seed sown into a young boy's mind that ultimately worked out and we have one of the greatest inventions that has transformed internal medicine saved the lives of hundreds of millions of people or extended their lives. Amazing. Some of you, God's going to give you some ideas. He's going to give you a dream. And when it's mixed with faith and you start sowing that into your heart and mind and into your church or into another great endeavor, you'll see what God, God will do. So everything starts with an idea. A seed is... is is only valuable when you freely give it away in faith. You hold on to it, it doesn't produce anything. And and so when you give away your praise and honor somebody, it's valuable seed sowing. It's the same with your good advice. It's the same with your valuable time. It's the same with your money. It's the same with your life experience, with your love to be able to help others. God, a God-blessed seed is anything that I give away in order to help somebody else and it takes faith when you don't feel like doing it like I say to people who are looking for friends I say well just say, just be friendly how do you do that? by faith, what do you mean? if you wait for your feelings to tell you you'll never do it well they're judging me I say just, just, just forget about yourself and go up to that person and take an interest in them and if they show showing interest back, don't become a leech and say, oh, I finally got a friend because you're doing it for the wrong motive. You sow the seed and be friendly and if it comes back to you in a friendship, that's, that's the gift of God. But if you do it, just say, I'll do it if they become my friend. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Or, I'll give money to God if God gives me back. No, 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 don't be like Jacob who bartered with God. You can't barter with God. You just follow his laws of faith and somehow it's going to come back to you so your words are seeds words can be such life-changing seeds that we can plant into people's hearts and minds and they can grow and they do grow to bear fruit so you need to choose your words wisely especially when you're talking with people that you love your children your grandchildren your husband your wife your friends and you sow the right seeds and you're going to have wonderful relationships so let me just ask you this is what kind of faith seeds are you planting into your relationships think about it are there some relationships that you're just not sowing the right seeds if you're a boss and you have staff or if you're an employee and you have a boss what kind of seeds are you sowing into those relationships you sow the right seeds and it's going to come back bless you you sow the wrong seeds and you're going to end up in a very sorry state look at this scripture Ephesians 4 29 do not use harmful words but only helpful words the kind that build up and provide what is needed so that what you say will do good to those who hear you isn't that great that's a great scripture I think in the, the Living or the um, New International Version, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I got my kids to memorize that. Instead of washing their mouths out with soap, I said, I want you to memorize this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth or only what is profitable for helping to build others up. And so when I'd hear them gossiping and, you know, slandering or being negative, i say, Ephesians 4.29. Oh, Dad, you know, say it to me. Come here, tell me. What does it say? I'd get them to kind of stand with me and say, Ephesians 14, what does it say? Do not let any unwholesome talk come in. That was unwholesome talk. We don't talk like that in the Vassilarchus household. And if that person came in through the front door, would you change your conversation? Oh, of course we would. Well, don't say that behind their backs. I'd nail them. What am I doing? I'm sowing good seed. I'm sowing good seed into my kids to make them into, into nice, good people who others want to hang around with them, not... Nasty, bitchy, kind of horrible, you know, critical. Always looking for the negative. And and uh, you want to produce magnificent kids, you sow the right seeds into their lives. And I tell you, you're going to reap a band of harvest. You want friends? It's going to come your way. Now, secondly, nothing happens until a seed is planted. It can't do any good unless it's planted in the ground. Look what Jesus said. He used this principle to explain why he came to die. And Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, it cannot reproduce. But if it dies, it will produce much fruit. So my dad, I still remember, dear dad, he'd get the best, they used to call them buckses. They still call big tomatoes buckses. That's a brand. Great big bucks. Buxum. that sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? buxom tomatoes, they're called buxes, I still remember that, great big tomatoes and the really ripe ones he would, he would store on a high ledge so that I couldn't get it needed and when it dried out he'd get the seeds, you might have had say 50 of those bux tomatoes, he'd get the seed, he'd dry the seed out on, on, a, on a bed and then he'd put them up high ups again so little Billy wouldn't get up there and wreck them, he'd have a jar full of these tomatoes, seeds, dried, Those tomato seeds were full of potential but that's all they would have been if they had stayed there. What did my dad do? I still remember what he used to do. He used to get them and he'd water the ground he'd rotraho it he'd have a little kind of instrument where he'd put a, a hole in the ground and drop a seed and then cover it over and he'd just do that row after row after row after row after row no evidence that that thing would germinate but he had to by faith believe that there's life in that seed and if he sowed it and let it die that something good was going to come out of it and it did and uh, so he he sowed them into the ground as an act of faith because he couldn't see what was happening under the dirt Jesus said this in Mark 4 the kingdom of God is like someone who plants seed in the ground night and day whether the person is asleep or awake the seed still grows but the person does not know how it grows So if you're waiting to step out in faith and sow the right seed until you have evidence of it, until you feel it, it ain't going to happen. It's not faith. The godly seeds you sow can't be seen until they germinate, and that's the element of faith, and it requires a lot of patience. Uh, Galatians 1 says this, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Hey, never give up. Thirdly, whatever you plant is what you'll reap. It's the law of reproduction. Galatians 6-7 says you will reap exactly what you plant. It's an invaluable rule of the universe. It'll either work for you or work against you. The farmer doesn't wonder about what's going to grow. He doesn't doubt what's going to grow. If I plant a tomato seed, I'm not going to get an orange out of that. I'm not going to get a pear is what the kind of seed that you sow is where you're going to receive back from that seed. Let me read to you some scriptures because this works in the negative as well as the positive. This is where the challenge comes in and we're going to take communion fairly soon and I'm hoping that you'll let the Holy Spirit do a little bit of surgery on the inside if you've been sowing some seed that is not appropriate and you're now thinking, oh, now I understand why he doesn't like me or she doesn't like me or I'm having trouble with my parents or I'm just always broke or I'm struggling in, in, in life. Look at these scriptures. It works both ways. Look at this, the negative examples. Job says this, my experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. Woo! Proverbs 22 says, those who plant seeds of injustice will harvest disaster. Hosea says, but you have cultivated wickedness and harvested a thriving crop of sins. I like that one. For in the same measure, Matthew 7, in the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you always pointing the finger at somebody but forgetting there's three fingers pointing back at you I'll point out the sins of another person but forgetting that you're a sinner saved by grace what right do I have to judge another person and make value judgments when we're all sinners saved by grace we all have received the free gift of forgiveness so if I live a judgmental life a critical life and I'm nasty towards other people because of their mistakes and their sins then, then what's going to happen is you, you're, going, you're going to end up becoming a Pharisee. That's exactly what, what the, and Jesus condemned the Pharisees because they had a veneer of religion, but they didn't have a vital relationship with God based on understanding grace. Now let me give you some positive ones. Proverbs 11.18 says, The one who sows righteousness will reap a sure reward. Hosea, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you'll harvest a crop of love. I like that. You want a crop of love? Or a crop of hatred? I know what I want. Plough up the hard ground of your hearts. For some of you, if there's some hardness in your hearts in this area, plough it up, for now is the time to seek the Lord, particularly as we take the Lord's Supper. Now's the time. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I've got some attitudes. I've got some, I've been sowing some negative stuff. I don't want to know what they are. Neither does Pastor Jeremy. Well, I think he doesn't. It's between God and you. He loves you in spite of your sins. He's, he's accepted you, not waiting for you to change your behavior and say, well, you change your behavior, son, daughter, and then I'll save you. No, no, no. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us he died for the ungodly so he doesn't wait for perfection doesn't wait for change your behavior first he says come to me with humility come to me with an attitude of saying I am wrong I have sinned I'm sorry please forgive me Lord and and give over to him and he will make give you a right standing with God the Father by free grace then he sends the Holy Spirit to come and live within you to make you change your behavior not make you inspire you to change your behaviors because we all are a bundle of habits and and some of us have got bad habits so once we're saved he starts working on us he starts changing us he starts to, to 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 mold us I remember oh how many people in in the early days in in the 1970s when when I got saved in the middle of the Jesus movement this is at the end of, or well, the beginnings of the sexual revolution. I mean, it was just madness. So how many guys and girls would come and get saved and they'd been sleeping together and they'd been mucking around and doing all kinds of stuff and so they, they, they got saved and every so often there'd be a girl that would come up and go, oh, I did it again. I slept with him. I slept with her. I couldn't resist having sex with them." And they'd think I was going to kick him out of the church. And I said, Well, I said, thank you for coming forward and confessing it. I said, Have you done that to Jesus? Oh, yes, several times. I said, well, have you received forgiveness? Well, we think so. All I need to do was to actually help them to see Jesus as the great grace giver, as the one who forgives. And then to say, Now, can we talk about how you can change some habit patterns and st- stuff that you can do to protect yourself? And that became a good conversation regarding. How do you walk with God? How do you protect yourself? You know, And, and little guidelines and stuff. But not to, to make them Christians, but because they are Christians, they can now receive the guidelines of the word and the empowerment of the spirit to be able to overcome. And so that's, that's, that's just, all of us have been in that boat. Have a look at the scripture here. James 3. Well, Hosea 10, 12 is a good one. So, folks, plow up the hard, hard, the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord. If there's judgmentalism, if there's harshness, if there's selfishness, if there's unfriendliness, if there's gossiping, if there's oh, stuff that's dark, now's the time to so say, you know what? I'm not going to sow any more dark seeds. I'm, I'm, God, help me to sow the good seeds. James says this, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness or goodness. Isn't that good? Those who are peacemakers who plant seeds of peace. Wow. So you're getting the idea this is not some minor message of the Bible? This is a really a big one. The laws of the harvest are true and they are powerful. You will reap what you faithfully sow with your children, with your wife, with your husband, with your business, with your friends, with your neighbours. It'll either work for you, or it'll work against you. You say anger, and that's what you're going to get. You're going to get a bunch of angry kids. You show me young, young children that are full of anger, and I... Pff, not 100%, I guarantee they've been brought up in a very angry home, where a mother will explode, or, or a father will explode, and they're socialised into that kind of behaviour and they bring that into their own marriages. It's awful. You sow patience and that's what you're going to get, patient kids. You reap what you sow. You get exactly what you plant. I cannot sow irresponsibility and reap success. I cannot sow laziness and reap a reward. I cannot sow stinginess and reap a blessing. So if you're naturally a lazy person and you don't like working, well, you're sowing that. So what's going to happen is you're cutting off one of your arms. You ain't going to succeed in life. So the scripture talks about deal with laziness. Plan yourself. Okay, I'm going to get up in the morning, get up at six, do my exercises, going to do some some devotional stuff, then I'm going to go and look for a job or I'm going to do my homework. I'm, I'm just going to ask God to help me and sow the right seeds of responsibility and I'll tell you what he will help you, he will enable but you've got to identify those areas that you're in, and those areas where you're sowing the wrong kind of seed the Bible's full of examples of this, both negative and positive remember the story of Jacob in Genesis, amazing story I've just read Genesis you know a good trick of reading the scripture is grab your iphone stick it in your pocket and when you go for your walk half an hour i've covered genesis book of acts john uh just in a matter of two or three weeks and and so i'm reading genesis and I go, oh, i've got to go back to that one again and I just the stories of the patriarchs and jacob i mean jacob his name means supplanter you know what it means he's a cheat <laughs> he's a cheat He's a scoundrel. And uh, uh, Jacob became Israel, the father of the 12 tribes. But you read his story, he's not a nice person. And where did he get that from? Daddy and mummy. And where did daddy and mummy get it from? Granddad and grandma. You check out the line from Abraham and Sarah and and then uh, Isaac and Rebecca and and you see it coming through. Anyway, so... (laughs) So Jacob cheats his brother Esau, cheats him. And he cheats his dad, Isaac. Do you know what happened to him? He goes to stay at his his uncle, his uncle Laban, because he's running for his life, because Esau's going to kill him now, because he's just done it one... one and he goes to Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban's the biggest cheat of them all. So what he sowed into his dad, into his brother... And mum, of course, Rachel was, you know, like, sorry, uh, Rebecca, she, f- she uh, favoured him and the dad favoured Esau, you know, favouring one of the kids. And, and so he goes, and Uncle Laban has got a PhD in cheating. Jacob's only got a master's degree. So, so he spends 14 years of his life working for this man for his two daughters. And he sees the first daughter, Rachel. He says, I want her. Because we've got to work for me for seven years. So on on the wedding day, they got her covered, they get him half drunk. He goes to bed. He wakes up in the morning. He's had sex with this new bride. It's Leah. They go, What? That's not who I married. Laban goes, Yes, you have. She's your wife now. But I wanted Rachel. I love Rachel. Leah's ordinary pretty cruel actually some of the stuff in the scriptures pretty poor Leo lies you really but God has mercy on it. anyway so Laban said well you want you want rage? another seven years boy he had to work another seven years for his and so he he and then he escapes he escapes Laban with his family and he's and as he's going Esau the brother who he cheated how many years earlier he hears he's coming back to, to Palestine so he's coming the other way so one way Laban's coming the other way Esau's coming and that's where he ultimately breaks this supplanter this man who would bargain with God God if you do this then I'll do this if you do this I'll give you 10% of my income but only if you well tired now he goes God I'll do anything I'm a dead man they're gonna get me and he lays down his life and he starts to, he commits himself and from that point on, he starts, stops sowing the rubbish seed and he starts sowing good seed into his 12 boys, the, the, the sons of Israel. Great story, amazing story. You don't think that one's tough enough? You know the story of Esther. Read that book and there you find Haman, who was a man who, who, who repped bitterness he built a gallows to kill his arch enemy called Mordecai and he thinks that the Persian emperor who happens to be married to a beautiful Jewish girl named Esther is going to follow him but somehow God works it that Haman ends up on the gallows that he had built this man that's full of bitterness and hatred he'd returned and it did him in Look at Galatians 6, my final scripture. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. That's all he'll have to show for his life. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Wow this is practical faith and I felt you needed to hear this not theoretical faith this is how you can practically outwork your faith because some of the seeds you're going to sow you're going to have no feelings you're not going to want to do it you're not going to feel like doing it but God says you do it you step out in faith and you see if there isn't going to be a crop of blessing that you're going to be able to harvest Hallelujah. Let me pray for you.